I was a junior in college, and I had a brilliant idea. At that time, I was going to the University of Minnesota, and you could take 15 credits of schoolwork all the way up to 22 credits of schoolwork for the same price. So I thought, I'm going to take 22 credits. That's like a half a quarter of school for free. Any of you ever done something like that? I don't even know if they offer that kind of thing anymore. So I thought, I'll just do that. I'll save all this money. And it seemed like a brilliant scheme when I started it. Little did I know how much work it would be. And I was just working frantically that quarter to try to keep up. And I had, I was in engineering. I was in a mechanical engineering uh, program at the time. And I had to take a statistics class, which was uh, an easy class for the mechanical engineering degree. It was one of those ones you think, oh, this is easy, it's easy math, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Unfortunately, I had a teacher from India and a TA student from another foreign country, and they were extraordinarily hard to understand. I couldn't really quite get what they were saying half the time, but the book was clear, so I thought, I'm doing all right until the first test. And what I thought they had said was that the test would be on chapters 1 through 4. But the test was on chapters 1 through 5. I had not looked at all at chapter 5 yet. It wasn't hard material. I didn't know any of it. Guess what most of that test was on? Chapter 5. I failed. I failed it miserably. It was the first time in my college career where I walked out and I said, oh, no. I spent the rest of the quarter getting that to a passable grade because I didn't want to retake the course because it cost what? Money, which I didn't have. And so my brilliant idea wasn't that brilliant because when I had the first test, I wasn't on page. I didn't know what was going on. And when I was looking at Malachi and kind of thinking about it, I was reminded of that story because Malachi is like chapter 5 for a lot of people. They've never really read it. They've never really understood it. And if you don't understand some of the basic principles and truths of Malachi, you're shortchanging yourself for life. And you're not going to pass some of life's tests because you simply don't have the information. And so this morning, I think, is a really rare opportunity for us to get educated on some stuff that's incredibly, incredibly important for your success as a follower of God. So this morning, we're looking at our last book of the Minor Prophets, and that book is Malachi. Like I like to fondly say, We're on chapter 5, so to speak, of this series that we've done here now for 12 weeks. I'm switching some numbers around on you, but you're smart people. You know what I'm saying. And so for 12 weeks, we've been going through the the Minor Prophets. uh, In this series, we entitled Because of His Love, and it's because of God's love that He's given us these words uh, that we call the Minor Prophets. And the words we're looking at today from Malachi are absolutely critical to understand. In the Bible, there is the law of first mention and the law of last mention. When you hear something mentioned for the first time, you you ought to prick up your spiritual antenna and say, okay, and really listen to that because it's important. And then when something is said for the last time, it also ought to really uh, 
cause you to, to, to kind of say, okay, what's, what's going on here? So Jesus' last words on the cross are incredibly important words. We'll get into those words some in a couple weeks, right? Because it's Easter season uh, again. Well, you know what Malachi is? It's the last book of the Minor Prophets, and it's the last book of the Old Testament. It's essentially God's last words between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, basically. And so it's basically God's last words. It's incredibly, incredibly important and insightful words uh, to, to hear. Now, let me give you some background. The second temple has been built. We've been talking about the second temple being built now for a couple weeks here in this series. I talked about it when I, when I uh, preached on Haggai a couple weeks ago. Pastor Steve talked a lot about it last week when he preached from Zechariah. The, 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 the second temple has been built. And it's been built, but the remnant was allowed to return. Um, but now something's already beginning to happen. Once again, abuses are happening, spiritually speaking. People are beginning to do things that are wrong. And Malachi basically is a corrective teaching uh, to uh, this people that were basically on the spiritual uh, decline. And I, I, I was looking at this constant problem of spiritual decline that we've seen in the, the 12 books of the Minor Prophets. And I was reminded of some words that the Apostle Paul talked about and said to us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He said, um, in the last days, people would have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. And that's exactly what was happening in Malachi's time. You had people that had this form of godliness, they had some ritualistic things going on, and they were just far from God. They were denying the power of the Lord. Um, and so this is a reoccurring theme of the minor prophets, and it's, it's fitting that the very last prophet, uh, you know, Malachi, once again addresses this subject matter. Um, and, and you could kind of, if you want to summarize some of the indices, some of the indicators of the spiritual decline, First of all, the people were bringing blemished offerings to God. They were giving God their leftovers. And then you had this priestly order that was just ungodly. The ones who should, be, should have been shepherding God's people, should have been instructing God's people in the ways of the Lord, were not doing uh, due diligence to their calling. They were, they were ungodly, and they were actually leading people astray. And then uh, we're told here in Malachi that, that there was this problem of covenant breaking. Uh, the, the men were divorcing their wives for any old reason, whatever. And so there was this just kind of categorical covenant breaking and minimization of, of that, uh, the sacredness of the marriage vows. And God says at one point in Malachi, you're one. Don't you understand? You're one. Can't break it apart. And the people weren't getting this. They were spiritually dull. And so I begin to look at Malachi. I said, what, is, what are you telling us, Malachi? You know, do I talk about keeping covenant? You know, uh, or, or, you know, uh, not, not giving God your leftovers? Yeah, that's part of the message. But, you know, that's not the message of Malachi. When you look at Malachi, there is an overriding message here. There's a big thought of Malachi. And I think it's this. The follower of God is to hollow God's name. That's what Malachi is saying. The follower of God is to hollow God's name. Um, listen uh, to what is said in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, because I think this, this 
Big thought comes through clearly in this scripture. Listen to what is said here. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to the governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And God basically is saying to those in Malachi's time, and I think this message transcends eras and times and is applicable to us. Basically, he's saying, really? You're bringing me the leftovers and you think that's okay? Really? You're giving me your second best? You think that's okay? Really? I'm an afterthought? Really? You think that's okay? How would your authorities feel about that? Would they accept it? No. And here's the problem behind uh, not hallowing God's name. Here's a problem that I think Malachi addresses. There was just a lack of reverence on God's people's part. Um, I'm going to use a term here that I'll define. There was a lack of spiritual intelligence. I'll, I'll explain that in a few moments. As seen in offering the blemished of the flock to God. Okay, so there's a lack of reverence in saying, God, here you go. Leftovers are good enough for you. In fact, I put that into a point. This is akin to thinking the leftovers in life are good enough for God. So if we were to read on in Malachi and go into chapter 2, uh, we would see that the, the priestly order was supposed to be ones who instructed God's people and brought them closer to the, to the Lord. They were supposed to preserve godly knowledge, but just the opposite was transpiring. And I begin to think about, okay, if you shepherd people, if you do what I do, if you are like a head of your household, or if you're a father or mother over your children, right? And, or if you're, if you're in a friend group or you're kind of the godly one and God is calling you to shepherd, what's important for you to be doing? Well, one is what? Honoring God and honoring His Word. Having a high regard for the Word of God. Amen, right? Having a high regard for who God is. And, 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 and um, in the case of the priestly order of that time, just the opposite was transpiring. Um, they were wrongly teaching God's word, and they were causing people to stumble. Do we have that problem today? Yeah, we do all over the place. We have those who say they're God's man or woman, and they're wrongly teaching God's word, and they're causing people to stumble. That was transpiring in Malachi's day. Um, second problem I see with the priestly order at that time. They were making God's word seem irrelevant and boring. I remember my Indiana Wesleyan University advisor when I went to school, I took school for, from that institution, wrote constantly a note to me. Um, he, he would write all kinds of notes in my papers on the side, encourage me and to, to, to spur me on. And one of the notes he wrote over and over again, because he knew my background in engineering and sciences and all that kind of stuff. And he said to me, Steve, I remember this note. This is a long time ago. He said, Steve, it's okay to bore people with physics. It's okay to bore people with chemistry or mathematics. But it's never okay to bore them with the Word of God. Because God's Word is never boring. Amen? So I'm sorry if I'm boring you. 
God's word is not boring. I might be boring, you might be boring, but God's word's never boring. Amen? And the priests of that time were making God's word boring. They were making it common. They were profaning God's name. And when you used to hear that word profaning God's name, what they're doing is they're making God's name common. And they're making it less than it is. And, 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 and Malachi saying that that's not right. And then, of course, you know, this, this whole um, thing of, of not being a covenant keeper was a big deal to God too. And the men were divorcing the wives of their youth and for any old reason at all. And so what we see is that they're not hollowing God's name here in the book of Malachi. Well, fast forward with me now 400 years. The last word of, uh, in the Bible basically was an indictment against God's people for not hollowing God's name. So now, fast forward with me, 400 years, and we get to the New Testament, and Jesus has come on the scene. He's God incarnate, God's son, and now he's bringing on us illumination on who God is and how we're to treat God. And you go to Matthew chapter 6, and you go to verse 9, and that begins the Lord's Prayer. And, and you know what? This is a continuation of Malachi. We don't often see that, but it really is. And the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray. Do you remember how it begins? It's going to be on the board behind me, screen behind me. Our Father in heaven, what? There you go. I feel like saying, Jesus, you're just picking up where Malachi left off. And he is. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus picks up right where Malachi leaves off. God's people are to hollow God's name. And hollow means you make it sacred. You understand it's holy and you're devoted to it. So the Old Testament ends with a call for God's people to um, treat God as sacred and holy, and peculiar, and set apart. And Jesus picks up by saying to you and I, when you pray to God, treat him as holy, and sacred, and set apart, and peculiar, as one of a kind. The Bible's one big story, amen? It's one big story. Unfortunately, the recurring theme that we've seen over and over again in the Minor Prophets is about people who have no wisdom, about God's people who should know better and don't do what's right. They're not spiritually intelligent, I, I call them, spiritually dull. In our day and age, we talk a lot about emotional intelligence, EQ, right? You hear that term ever? Now, when I grew up, we didn't have that terminology. We talked about intelligent intelligence. And oftentimes, you would hire engineers I know a lot about this because I did it for years. I've managed engineers and I managed a bunch of te technical people. I am one of them. And so you would hire these engineers who are extraordinarily intelligent, but emotionally a little bit dull. Am I okay saying that? And so what would happen frequently is I would have engineers who did outstanding work but as I would say, would leave a wake of dead bodies behind the work. You know, and, and I was constantly talking with these guys and gals because it seemed to be not sex-based. 
<laughs> Do you understand how to relate to other people at all? And how to talk to them? Don't talk down to them. <laughs> don't go to the floor and talk down to people. Listen to what they're saying. Oftentimes, they don't know how to describe it technically, but they're describing to you the problem. And I did a lot of what I would call emotional training <laughs> for these folks to try to help them be successful. They were very intellectual, but not necessarily emotionally very intellectual. And now today, I notice there's a lot of talk on EQ. Have you heard that at all? In fact, in college, I bet you even have some of that. Maybe you don't. But it's emotional intelligence. And we know that to succeed in life, we probably not only have to be intellectually intelligent, but emotionally intelligent. But guess what? I'm going to coin a new term with you. God's people are called to be spiritually intelligent, to have an understanding of who God is, and to understand that God is holy and we're to hollow his name. And as we do so, life will become good and the best it can possibly be. And if we don't do so, we'll come under the curses of the Lord, so to speak. Life won't be what it should be. The spiritual intelligent will understand Malachi 3 and embrace when God says, I'm sending my son as a refiner's fire, as a launderer's soap. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ there in Malachi 3. And God's saying, I'm sending my son as a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. And he's going to come and he's going to live inside of you. And he's going to change your heart. And you're going to become spiritually intelligent. Amen? And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. And you're going to have wisdom that's not of your own. And he's going to enable you to become something you can never become on your own. And that's understanding spiritual intelligence. Interestingly enough, when you continue reading on in Malachi, we get to chapter 3, and it really expands on this idea that God is never satisfied with our leftovers in life. Think about it that way, because I'm going to read to you Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, and it's about giving and so much more. And I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. In other words, God's saying, you're a bunch of covenant breakers, but I don't break covenant because I'm God. I don't break my covenant. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how, have we re how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And right now, half of you in this room are just shut down. I'm not going to let you do that today. Stop shutting down when we talk about giving. Stop it right now. Listen to this. Because if you want to be spiritually intelligent, you're going to hear what he says here. Amen? And I give no apology for this. Because this is for your benefit and for your blessing. Listen to what is being said here. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
God was saying to the descendants of Jacob, and I think he's saying it to you and I also today, I'm not okay with you giving me your leftovers. I'm not okay with being an afterthought. I'm not okay with you coming to me with a scarcity mindset. I'm not okay with you thinking you can run your own life and whatever is left over you're going to give to me. God says, test me. Test me. Give to me. Put me first. And see if I won't pour blessing upon you. I call it the Malachi test. Test me. And see if things won't go better in your life if you give. It won't make sense to you. Financially, it won't make sense to you. Statistically, it won't make sense to you. I know statistics now because I had to learn it really hard. You know what I'm saying? It won't make sense to you. Test me in this and try it out and see if it doesn't work. It's not that God needs your money. It's that you need God. Amen? Are you getting this? And I remember my own running into this scripture was when I was in college, just got married to Vicki, and she was always about a few years advanced. And that's normal. Anyway, you know, I'll go there. And we talked about being in college. Both of us were in school. She was an architect major at the time. I was a mechanical engineering major at the time. And um, not making a lot of money and paying our own way through school. And we get married, right? And uh, she said, we should tithe. <laughs> and I remember saying, really? How can we do that? And um, she was gentle about it. She said, well, you think about it. And, and I, I remember saying, okay, that makes sense. And we did it. I did it. Because you know why? It never gets easier. Because you don't have that much money in college. Amen? Some college students, can you say amen? So it's easy to tithe on it because you don't have anything to tithe on. Amen? And I begin an experiment there of saying, I'm going to do this. It's been an amazing run. God has supplied. It's just been amazing. And I think, if I had done that, what would I have missed out in my life? What would I have missed out on? So much. So I unapologetically say to you, take the Malachi test. But get this, that's elementary. That's just the beginning point of the teaching of Malachi. It goes much deeper than this. God wants what, much more than this. In fact, uh, he wants us uh, to get on the right page. He wants us to understand and be spiritually intelligent. He wants us to know chapter 5, so to speak, uh, of what's going on in life. And, and so I want to take you further than just giving here. The idea is investing and investing in the right kinds of things. Um, once again, if we go to Matthew chapter 6 and go to the Lord Jesus teaching, starting in verse 19, he says this, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Answer that question. Where is your heart? Where your treasure is. 
What you invest in captures your heart. Malachi knew that. His isn't a teaching about just giving. His teaching is about how God's people's heart is captured. And Malachi was basically saying to the people in his time, if you want to have spiritual intelligence, then you're going to give to God. Start there because what you give to captures your heart. Jesus just plainly says it in his teaching there right away in Matthew. Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So here is what Malachi is saying, and here's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Invest your life into that which has lasting value. That's what they're saying. That's why this matters so much. Invest into that which has lasting value. Because earthly treasures are temporary. They're passing away. And by investing in the things of God, you're constantly reminding yourself that this place I live in is what? Temporary. Vicky and I just went out to Las Vegas, not to gamble. I had a meeting out there, and we went hiking. And we stayed at a whole bunch of really unique places. Some quirky. It's an interesting area of the country. And uh, one place we stayed at, I felt like I went right back to the 1960s, right back to that kind of hippie kind of, a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I thought, we're just staying here one night. I'm just temporary. I'm not going to put roots down here. I'm here one night. I'm going to enjoy the quirkiness of it and then move on, right? Guess what? This world is a temporary residence. It is not your permanent home. Amen? It is not. So some of you who are younger, you don't really know this yet. Fully. You're getting it. You're beating the grass. This is not our place. This is temporary. You're staying in a hotel. This, don't make it your home. And, 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 and part of the, uh, the thing that Malachi is trying to instill into us and Jesus is that we need to invest in those things that are eternal, not temporary. Story is told of a man who was rich and he passed away. And uh, so being rich, he loaded up his gold bullion into a wheelbarrow and he made his way to the pearly gates. You know this is a native story, right? This isn't how it works. This is terrible theology. Okay, amen? But it's a story, so you can handle it. So he gets to the pearly gate with his wheelbarrow of gold there and he meets, you know, St. Peter, who's the gatekeeper and St. Peter says, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, I'm a really wealthy man. I just want to take some of my wealth into heaven with me. And Peter says, well, okay, I guess you can do that. But I just don't understand why you would want to take pavement into heaven. But if you want to do that, go ahead. That was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. That's because I'm old. I tell terrible jokes. But the idea that I think we could take away from that is this. What we think is so valuable here and put so much of our life effort into here, I wonder if it has any eternal worth at all. We have to ask that question, does it? Because we'll spend a lot of our life here investing in things that have no eternal value whatsoever. That's what Malachi was getting at. That's what Jesus is getting at. So we have to understand that heavenly treasures are eternal. And that's what we need to invest into. And so what are eternal treasures? That's the natural question. What are these eternal treasures that we're talking about? Well, you know what the first treasure of heaven is? Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus. We have to begin to understand he's a treasure. 
It, the Apostle Paul got this. Listen to Philippians chapter 3. Listen to verses 7 through 11. But whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them what? Garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So the first reward of heaven is Jesus. You know what the second reward of heaven is? Heaven! Amen? I, I was out doing these hikes in Death Valley uh, with Vicky. I got a taste of heaven. Not Death Valley. The hikes. We went to this, some of these hikes. The colors are unbelievable. Like, I didn't know rock could look so pretty. And I'm walking along and just like everything is different and so beautiful. I think when you get to heaven, that's what's going to happen. Amen? You're going to go, wow, 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 wow. Why did I think earth was so good? Amen? And it's going to captivate you because the treasure of heaven is heaven. You know, there's other treasures that you get in heaven, like your, your, your rewards and all that. But you're getting kind of the gist of what I'm, I'm talking about here. Um, and so if we want to be spiritually intelligent then, and we want to store our treasures in heaven, then we have to uh, get to this point too. Put your life resources into what matters the most then. That's basically what Malachi is saying, and that's, of course, what Jesus clearly articulated. Listen to Matthew chapter 13. Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So basically now we're getting to the graduate understanding of where Malachi is trying to take us to. Malachi is saying, look it, look it. People of God, get your priorities down, tithe and give and all that. That's like an elementary education. You know why? Because that turns your heart to God. And then Jesus takes it further, and he says, I'm going to take you to graduate school here. Invest everything you have in God. Invest everything you have in what matters for eternity. So that's why I say Malachi introduces us to some elementary things. Tithing and offering. That's elementary. That's like givens. That's like the beginning point. And God does bless that. He says he does. But ultimately, God has taken us to something deeper, and that's understanding that our lives our time, our talent, our treasures are to be invested in, in things that matter for eternity. And we're to think that way and, 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 and grapple with this. Um, I think God's trying to create a moment in us right now. We've been going through this minor prophet study for 12 weeks, and I think God's bringing us to this moment today of what will I invest my life in? As God's people, what will capture my heart? What will I, you know, you know, love and give my life to? Stories told of, of Alfred Noble that I want to share here. And listen to this story. Alfred Noble dropped the newspaper and put his head in his hands. It was 1888. Noble was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune inventing and producing dynamite. 
His brother Ludwig had died in France. But now Alfred's grief was compounded by dismay. He had just read an obituary in, in a French newspaper, uh, not his brother's obituary, but his. An editor had confused the brothers. And the headline read this way, The merchant of death is dead. Alfred Noble's obituary described a man who had gotten rich by helping people kill one another. Shaken by this appraisal of his life, Noble resolved to use his wealth to change his legacy. When he died eight years later, he left more than $9 million to fund awards for those people who worked to benefit humanity. The awards became known as, you know it, the Nobel Prize. He had a rare opportunity to look at his life and assess it and its end and still have a chance to go back and make some corrective course changes. Before his life was over, Nobel made sure he had invested his wealth in something of lasting value. Today provides every single one of us with that same opportunity. What are you investing your life in? Be honest with God. What are you investing your life in? Will it have lasting value? Some of you know this, and I've gone through some surgeries over the last three years, six years. And I got done with this last one on my neck, and I told Vicki at one point, you know, you're taking care of if something happens to me. And she just kind of like, why are you talking like that? And uh, here's why I'm talking like that. Because when all said and done in my life, what matters to you is my wife. What matters to me is my kids. What matters to me is you. Amen? When all is said and done, those are the things that matter to me. Nothing else really matters to me. And I know I didn't need to say that to her, and it was stupid. It was probably the drug speaking or something, you know. But actually, I meant that from my heart. And what God is saying to you and me is, invest in those things that matter. Hollow his name. Love people. And you basically got it down. So here's a question I want to end with today. What will matter five minutes after you die? Did you hear that? What will matter five minutes after you die? That needs to capture your heart. That needs to be what you use to direct your investment. Amen? What will matter five minutes after you die? Because we're all marching towards that moment. Some of us are a little farther along on the journey than the others. We're all going that way. And I want to encourage you this morning, invest in the eternal. Hollow God's name. Begin with just simply giving if you're not doing that yet because that'll capture your heart. And God wants to capture your heart. But Jesus wants more than some giving. He wants you. He wants you to be totally invested in Him and His kingdom. Amen. When I begin school, and then after I graduated and begin my job at 3M, I remember saying to Vicki at one point, I'm beginning a holy experiment. I'm going to live my life as out loud for God as I know how. And I look back now, some 40-some years down the road from that decision. Man, what a good decision. 
I have no regrets. God has done so many good things, you know? And you can look back and you say, thank you, God. I don't know where I got that wisdom at that moment to do that, but that had to come from your Holy Spirit. Amen? And I'm telling you today, what matters five minutes after you die, let that direct your life and invest your life totally in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will look back someday and you will say, best decision ever, and you will be a person who's spiritually wise. You'll be spiritually intelligent. And that's what God wants for his people. Let's pray and then we're going to close with a song. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to just let this moment percolate in the hearts of people. That question's so important. What will matter five minutes after I die? And I pray that every single person here will grapple with that question some. And I pray that question would become a tool that you would use, Holy Spirit, to begin to push us into making wise, spiritually intelligent decisions. Malachi, he was making a plea to the people of his time to offer to you, God, their best, not leftovers, to give because he knew by giving that would capture their hearts, Lord. And Jesus has clearly articulated where your treasure is, there is your heart. And that's why giving is even in this equation because it's such an important tool in capturing our hearts. And you want to capture our heart, Jesus. And I pray that we'd be spiritually wise. And if nothing else, just begin there. But Jesus, I know what you want from us is greater. You want us to move on to graduate school. You want us to sell everything we have, so to speak, and get that pearl of great price. In other words, to sell our life entirely for you, Jesus. That's what you want. You want it from the top to the bottom. You want just to be Lord of all. And I just pray, Lord, that we would make that decision today as your people here at Grace Point. I pray for all those listening live right now to us, whether they be in homes, in their living room, or in a car, maybe listening on uh, the podcast. I pray they would have a God moment, just like we're having here right now, in their homes, in their cars, wherever, where they would say, God, I just, I'm totally yours. I'm just sold out to you. I just pray that would happen, Lord. I pray we'd be a sold out people. May your name be great among your people, Jesus. May your praises be on our lips. May you, Holy Spirit, fill us to overflowing so that we live and move and have our being in you. May you just occupy us and may you be something we just can't get off our minds, Jesus. Can't get you off our hands. You're just there all the time. I just pray that that would be the kind of people we are. Just living and moving and having our being in you. May it be so, God, by your grace and by your great power. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said,